Right now I'm in Kabul. Uh, when we look outside of uh, our windows, we see just uh, fog uh, and uh, panic. My wife is crying every night. Uh, please uh, take me out of Afghanistan. Please do something for myself. Please do something at least for your daughter. She is at three years old. She was dancing that night that the Taliban took over Kabul. I was crying for her because she doesn't know about her destiny, about a certain future. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. After 20 years of war, invasion and occupation, US-led forces in Afghanistan, including Australian defence personnel, have finally withdrawn. It signals the end of one of the longest military engagements in modern history. Within weeks, the Taliban, who were officially deposed at the beginning of the conflict, swept the country, seizing the capital, Kabul, and retaking control. Now, there are fears for millions of Afghans facing life under a repressive regime. Today, Chief Political Correspondent for the Saturday Paper, Karen Middleton, and Policy Analyst in Kabul, Ramesh Salami, on the latest developments in Afghanistan, how we got to this point, and what the future looks like for Afghans. It's Monday, August 23. Karen, you've reported a lot on the war in Afghanistan. You also have a a first-hand understanding of it. Can you tell me more about that? Well, I was in Washington, D.C. on September 11, 2001, covering the visit of the Prime Minister John Howard. So we were caught up in the middle of the terrorist attacks that occurred on um, New York and Washington uh, through that period, I developed an interest and an understanding of the conflict, uh, and I've been very focused on it ever since. Mm. And so what are people in Afghanistan saying to you right now about the situation in the country? Well, people are very frightened, people in Kabul and people in r- more remote parts of the country. Uh, my name is uh, Ramesh Salami. I born in a rural area of Bamiyan in a very beautiful provinces of Afghanistan. The people of Bamiyan is, and belong to Hazara ethnic minority and we were witnessed the massacre during the Taliban years, almost 22 or 23 years. A number of us in Australia, um, my colleagues and others who have connections to Afghanistan, have been receiving desperate pleas in, in the past few days since the Taliban took over. Kabul city. The vast majority of the people of Afghanistan are trying to get out of the country, but they do not have any access to any documentation or money to travel. Tough time for the people who work with international organization, uh, with media or political activists or women minority, uh, they're afraid of the Taliban. They think they're going to be targeted. Some are already being targeted and they think they're going to be killed and they're desperate to get out. If we kill by the Taliban in the airport, that's okay. But if we see in our home, there is no any guarantee that you're safe. Karen, there are 
many places that you could start in trying to explain what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Where would you begin? Ah, well, the history of Afghanistan is completely fraught and it's been a popular place for foreign invasion going all the way back to Genghis Khan. You'll remember that the the Soviets invaded Afghanistan back in 1979 and that prompted the United States to arm the Mujahideen, the Islamist forces that were rising up against the Soviets. These men are Afghan Muslims who have taken up arms against the communist regime in Afghanistan. They are called Mujahideen and they are fighting jihad. So the United States via the CIA were very engaged through that period and then the Soviets withdrew in 1989. It was a big mistake. And now all our sacrifice and now our people lost uh, was in vain. And the Taliban has risen uh, and strengthened through that time. As we understand it, these men here have taken over the presidential palace. They ended up taking over in 1996. Overnight, they dragged the former president, Saeed Mohammed Najibullah, from a United Nations compound. He was beaten, shot, and his body hung from a lamppost. The Taliban were very strict in terms of their enforcement of Sharia law. It was quite repressive and, and brutal. And, of course, we saw it become what countries, including the United States, have called a breeding ground for fundamentalist terrorist groups. And, of course, the the flourishing of of groups like al-Qaeda and the rule of the Taliban there were what led to the terrorist attacks on the United States on September 11, 2001. The leadership of al-Qaeda has great influence in Afghanistan and supports the Taliban regime. And tonight, the United States of America makes the following demands on the Taliban. Deliver to United States authorities all the leaders of al-Qaeda who hide in your land. So after 9-11, the United States government launches what it called the War on Terror with Australia's support. The first part of that was the invasion of Afghanistan. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. Can you tell me what the goal was back then, Karen? What were coalition forces trying to achieve? Going in there in late 2001 was specifically in response to those terrorist attacks on September 11. It was to find and capture or kill Osama bin Laden and those who had worked with him. And it was to stop Afghanistan ever again being a haven for terrorist activity. It took them 10 years to find Osama bin Laden and he was ultimately found across the border in Pakistan and killed in 2011. And it it, it dragged on and on and it it became a a longer-term nation-building exercise that was not well-defined. It changed year on year and ultimately the governments involved realised that it was going to be endless. Can you bring me to the moment where things started to change when the US decided that that they would be withdrawing? Thank you very much, everybody. Before we begin, I'd like to congratulate all of those incredible people that have worked for so long on our endless war in Afghanistan, 19 years, going on 20... 
So the United States has been determined, in particularly in the last few years, to really finish this conflict and get out. When President Donald Trump took office, he started working on this and in 2018 began talks with the Taliban. And I'll be meeting personally with Taliban leaders in the not-too-distant future. They culminated in uh, an agreement with the Taliban, um, not in really involving the Afghan government, but brokered by Afghans. And it was sealed in February of 2020 of last year. After 18 months of talks and nearly two decades of war, the US and the Afghan Taliban have just signed a long-awaited deal aimed at paving the way to peace and the departure of foreign troops. President Biden is set to announce the apparent end to America's longest war. The president planning to withdraw the remaining 2,500 US troops from Afghanistan by September 11th, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks. And there's been criticism in recent months and, of course, in recent days, of how that whole withdrawal was handled. Because of the agreement of the President Trump, they brought Taliban to international prestige. They emboldened Taliban to fight against Afghanistan. It's been bungled. It's a disaster. It's looked like that Afghanistan clubs in a very breathtaking human disaster. And we're now seeing an absolute catastrophe unfolding in Kabul. And I think we're going to see bloodshed. You put the vast majority of the Afghan people all to the hands of the Taliban. Shame on you. Shame on your policy. Shame on your strategy. What did you do in Afghanistan? We'll be back in a moment. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Karen, can you tell me about the lead-up to the withdrawal of US and coalition troops from Afghanistan? Because the fall of the country to the Taliban seems to have happened very quickly, but there was a bit of a longer process here that you've just been alluding to. So can you tell me exactly what happened? So as soon as that agreement was uh, sealed and confirmed by President Biden, um, the clock was ticking, really. And the Taliban knew they had the upper hand. So attempts to get any more concessions out of them really were not very successful. Since then, you have seen the Taliban gain strength. They are well armed, in no small part to the United States' involvement all the way back in 1979 uh, when it funded the Mujahideen. There are people in the United States and here who said, oh, we were taken by surprise. But there are other people who say, well, you shouldn't have been shot. The history of this is that it can happen 
very, very quickly. People in this country say that if the US pulled out, your government would collapse in three days. We saw Afghan President Ashraf Ghani in a United States television interview three years ago warn that as soon as the United States stopped backing Afghanistan with money and with resources, his government would collapse. We will not be able to support our army for six months without US support. He said it would collapse within six months. Well, it's been a, a matter of weeks that that's occurred. And the Taliban has used a very clever, ruthless strategy of a domino effect. The Taliban is on the verge of overrunning the city of Lashkagar in the south, and there's fierce fighting in Kandahar and Herat. They have picked off provincial capitals around Afghanistan, chosen capitals where they had influence. In the past day, they have seized the second and the third largest cities of the country, Kandahar and Herat. The embattled government controls only the capital, Kabul. Once they got to a, a tipping point of enough of those towns and cities, there was little resistance. Taliban forces entered the heart of the Afghan capital, Kabul, today, the culmination of a rapid advance and retaking of control. Fighters were filmed inside the presidential palace after Ashraf Ghani, now the former president, fled the country. And the Taliban were able to march into the city un unimpeded. And can you tell me about the changes that the Taliban has put into place almost immediately after taking power? We saw the Taliban spokesman give a news conference. The message coming from the, the influential people in the Taliban is it's not going to be the same as before. We want to have a diverse government. It's not going to be democratic, of course. It'll be Islamist. It'll run under Sharia law. But we want members of the old government and we want women involved. And you don't have anything to worry about, the Taliban spokesman said. We forgive you. The Afghan people shouldn't shouldn't be concerned. Um, I haven't spoken to anybody who believes very much of that. You're saying that there is a public amnesty for everyone in Afghanistan, but the people of Afghanistan do not trust on them. We experience our parents and the vast majority of the Afghan people experienced the same regime almost 20 years ago. And I think people in Kabul are already saying that despite these public assurances, there's evidence of Taliban operatives going house to house, seeking out people who had worked for the Ashraf Ghani government and also seeking out people with ties to the West. All of these people are being targeted and they're very, very afraid. I know it's very risky jobs in Afghanistan at the moment to talk with you, but I have to. And I'm not sure that tomorrow I might be killed. We do not have any option. Mm. And so as the Taliban cements its power in Afghanistan, what is likely to happen next? And I mean that in an international sense. Who is recognising the Taliban as the you know, the legitimate leaders of the country now? Well, this is the next big geopolitical question. Countries like China and Russia have been very muted in their criticism of the Taliban already. Pakistan certainly, in fact, has actually put out messages almost welcoming 
the the Taliban's return, uh, and Iran has interests in the region. And I think you will see, if you talk to the experts, they say um, the likelihood that, that China and Russia will move to recognise the Taliban government perhaps ahead of others and probably Pakistan as well. Other countries have a big decision to make because, of course, uh, we've already seen the terrible consequences of legitimising the Taliban in those discussions that were held leading up to this situation that formed that agreement. Australia has its own connections to Afghanistan and its own obligations. So our government needs to make some difficult decisions about how it proceeds with its engagement with Afghanistan and how it might be able to assist the Afghan people, and if it can. And so they have to decide, are they going to recognise this regime? Are they going to sanction it? What will that mean for the people? My message to the Prime Minister of Australia is this, help us, please. The people of Afghan love the Australian people. They are not a militants. They are not a threat to your national sovereignty. So there's a question about humanitarian aid as well as political recognition that's going to have to be faced by other countries and ours. Uh, and that's going to be a very hard decision, how to help the people of Afghanistan who don't deserve to be punished any further without legitimising a regime that has taken power again by force. If uh, Taliban arrest us or kill us, please send our message to the world. Karen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much, Ruby. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, New South Wales recorded the highest number of new COVID-19 cases yet on Sunday, with 830 people testing positive to the virus. The state administered 45,000 vaccines in the same period, with the Health Minister Brad Hazard claiming that life will look pretty good in November if the current vaccination rate is maintained. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, a cluster of Delta cases of COVID-19 has grown to 71. The country is currently in a lockdown scheduled to end tomorrow at midnight, but there are expectations it will be extended. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.